Welcome back to Under the Parki. I'm Tahu. And I'm Anatola. And today our topic is foster care, and we have a beautiful guest with us who I'm going to let introduce herself. Hello, uh, my name is Jess. I am 23 years old, um, and I have spent the majority of my life in a child, youth, and family based foster home. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why I just. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, oh, I don't like it. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm currently doing a Bachelor of Communications majoring in Journalism at AUT. Um, so I am going into my final year this year and then I work in a bookstore as well. What bookstore? Um, oh, it's a chain. What's, it's a chain bookstore. Oh, got you, but got it's you. right. I love it. No, I we can it. talk about it afterwards. We can. Absolutely. I love bookshops. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got a game as a kind of icebreaker warm-up. Um, called Jena Onaye. And pretty much, I'm going to read a statement. You're going to agree whether you're Jena or Naye. Or disagree as a Jena, agree as Naye. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 You got it. You got it. Yeah. You got it. Now you got it. Okay. Sending your food back at a restaurant if it's wrong or bad. Jena or Naye? Jena. If it's bad. I just, even though I know that you can do it in a nice way, I'm so like worried for the servers because they get so many not nice people mm. that I'm like, no, I'll suck it up. I'll get over it. But yeah. maybe if you're the nice person, they'll be all right with it. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. no. I just can't. I just, I just sit there. I'll pass it off to my boyfriend and I'll eat his and then right. we're fine. If it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, he can eat it. <laughs> He's fine. He'll have it. <laughs> Just make sure you, you like his food. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I make him order food that I like, yeah. so I can try both. This so it's is perfect. like energy we need. Genius. I'm here for it. What are you? Um, I I struggle with this a lot because I too I really hate sending my food back, but I don't eat meat. Okay. And I don't eat egg or dairy, and so. There's just nothing I can do. I know. <laughs> or when I'm my mum, I'm like, Mum, can you can you just do it nicely though? Can you ask him to change it? Um, just because I feel bad, but I, I feel like I've got a rhythm now. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but just so you know, there's got like dairy or meat in it. I, I can't actually eat it because I'm vegan, and I'm I'm so sorry to drop the B word, but <laughs> I can't actually have it. Is there a way that we can? I try to like, yeah, because I I know how difficult hospitality is, like in the sense mm. where people just assholes Absolutely. and I don't want to be another asshole so um, I tried it my best and it's also not the service fault yeah no it's also shout out chefs we love you but like it's not the service fault so yeah what about you Tahu? oh wait I'm a yeah nah nah yeah in between okay I, I think I'm a nah yeah nah yeah yeah uh, not, not um, that like I'll be a dickhead about it mm. but nah I don't think so either I can turn into Nah, you'd be <laughs> you so nice. <laughs> <laughs> nah, uh, it's just because I love things the way I love them. Mm. And if they fuck my steak. Like <laughs> Wait, how do you have your steak? Just medium rare. I always mm. ask for it rare because I know they always. Right, right. Yeah, real So like it, like moeen on your on your on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> I like to see yeah. it twitching. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> twitching in my mouth. <laughs> no, but I, I'm not like real crazy about it. Like if there's something wrong with a little part of it, then yeah. I'm sweet. Yeah. But if you're paying for fifty bucks, yeah, for a meal, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's the value of the money that yeah. I can't get past. And it's 
also, like, it's how you say it, right? Yeah. Not what you say, it's how you say it. So if you're doing it respectfully. But, I mean, if they keep on coming it back. It is really hard, though. I know. To yeah. do. You're like, I've only grown into it. Right. I've had to have more meals without mum and dad around. Well, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it was always mum. We would do it. How, how long mom does it take? Mum is the top complainer in the world. Oh, my mum too. Yeah. She'll get, like, oh. anything brand new, oh. anything back, everything. <laughs> my <laughs> mum. Carry on, carry on. My mum is exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a naive. Right, right. Yeah. Wait, how long, question, how long does it take for you to be like, I'm gonna blow my shirt? Oh, probably just a smug look. <laughs> just oh, not uh, long. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, they're like, I'm like, this is um, not my order, sorry. They're like, nah, it is. Oh. But no, the fuck it's <laughs> not. <laughs> it's just the one thing. You're out. Nah, nah, I'm joking. Like, if it's, yeah. Maybe if I've just hit, uh, probably if I had a bad day, like yeah. a project, I'm a projector too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we get really carried away. Just out my shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Tahu, for sharing yeah. that with us. Yeah. Um, so, we're doing our pop quiz. Um, yes. And we have whiteboards. Perfect. So, ta-da. And basically, you've got questions for us. Oh I gosh. do. And yeah, you're going to ask us, and Tahu and I are going to answer on our whiteboards, and then we're going to have a little chat. Exciting. Mm. Exciting. Why did you put down first a flat down? It's up all, against the side. I did put it on the side, it must have just fallen down. Okay? <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Okay. When you are. When was Child, Youth, and Family as an organization established? <coughs> Child, Youth, and Family. I actually don't know, but I think it might be when I was born. One of you is closer than the other. Right. Um, the answer is 1999. Wow. I went 1909. <laughs> I know, I saw that. <laughs> one day, one number. One <laughs> you could have done it. You were very close. <laughs> Oh, okay. That's not too long ago. No, that's um, 23 years ago, actually. Yeah. It's the year I was born, so it's been only 23 years ago. And isn't it wild that there's so much shit yeah. from that, from just having that, that little time? Like, it's not that long ago. Yeah, 23 years is not a long period of time, no. but they have respectfully impacted thousands, tens of thousands of lives in that time. Yeah. Wow. Wild. 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 More Wild. about that later. <laughs> um, what year did Child, Youth and Family become Oranga Tamariki? Oh. I did not know that's what Oranga Tamariki was. Yeah, just call them SIFs. Yeah, call them SIFs. Oh, so SIFs was so they, they, in 1999. Yeah, so they were set okay. up in 1999 and then they were rebranded into Oranga Tamariki. But so there's not SIFs anymore? No. Oranga Tamariki is SIFs. SIFs. Right. Okay. Rebanded in 20... 2015. 2017. 2017 is the answer. Sorry, what? Yeah, so foster kids have decisions made for them by their social workers. What is it called when the judge makes their decisions? Mm. 
I actually don't. I, I, I mean, I know. I don't know. I can't remember. I oh, don't know. We literally have a little judgment. Judgment. <laughs> I did a judicial decision. <laughs> I did a judicial decision because I actually don't know how many. They're actually called a ward of the state. Ward of the state. So that one's kind of confusing because technically foster kids are state wards. Wards. But being a ward of the state means that most of not your like day-to-day -day decisions but most yeah. of your higher up decisions will have to go through the courts yeah and the judge will have to decide rather than through the family group conference or through social workers and caregivers right yeah that's um, good to know it's yeah it's, it's important weird. to know it's definitely not really heard of like unless you're in the system, in the system i think yeah. yeah um last question roughly how many children are living in care at the moment in the whole of aotearoa yes I don't know why I'm sticking with this, but this is a big number. Wow. Okay. I've gone 47,000. Oh, 18,000. Way, way bigger big. than you. I don't know if I've gone too small or too. Rude. No, I've got good news. It's actually closer to 6,000 oh. at the moment. Oh, wow. That is good news. But yes. That is good news. What's it your six? It seems like. A, a small amount of people. Yeah, so that number was taken from the Oranga Tamariki website. So I think that is just the number of children who are in care, um, who are foster kids who don't live with their family, as opposed to people in Aotearoa who have support from child, youth and family. Because right. I think those are two very different numbers. So active that was a cases. bit of a, yeah. Active cases of it, So that yeah. was a bit of a trick question. Okay. Um, but yeah, that number I believe is just children who live like with caregivers who are not their parents. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's um <coughs> interesting when talking about this because I feel like it's such a polarizing topic. Mm. And especially since in the last few years, um, it's come to, to light that there's been so much damage being done through the SIF system. Um, and I know that you've experienced the foster care system. Yes. Um, and it's not polarizing in the sense where like we should be having like really contentious conversations because at the end of the day our the kids are our priority we mm. want to make sure they're safe but also returning to a family that's safe and yeah. that's really important as well but what has been your experience with with the foster care system yeah so basically um it started like my experience in child youth and family started when i was really young mm. um so a lot of those memories i don't have um, and also as your body goes through trauma, both physical and mental, you do lose your memories as well. And so I don't have a lot of memories from me kind of prior to 12, 13. Um, also, I think it's really important to note that a lot of my experiences I don't actually know about. They're all in my case files, which I do have access to. I just haven't accessed them. Um, from what I remember though, I kind of lived in my family home. It wasn't a great dynamic. We were then shifted um, to an external caregiver and then to two or three different family homes. And then I lived, um, and so those are people in my family who were not my parents, who had guardianship over me. Um, and then I moved to my kind of like home for life, the care home that I lived in from when I was seven up until 17. Wow. Yeah. Because that's when <coughs> they kind of, the turnover, right? That kids kind of start getting yeah. transitioned out of care well, I and could, to live independently. Yes, normally, normally it is, absolutely. I did have the option of staying onwards. I personally decided not to. I went to my social workers um, and I basically said, like, I'm not super happy here. Can I please 
move elsewhere. And at 17, I knew that they weren't going to find another foster home for me. So mm-hmm. I actually had um, a family member reach out to me and say, hey, like if you needed a home while you're at university, let us know you can live here. And so I went to them earlier and I said, hey, I know I'm only 17, I know I'm still in high school, but is there any chance I could live with you? Um, that typically does not happen, I will say. Mm. Often, like, especially as I was a ward of the state, as I was saying, I don't get to make a lot of my own decisions. Um, but I was at that age where, like, my social workers and my caregivers, they're all kind of like, yeah, just let it go, you know? Um, I was 17, I was this close to moving out anyway. So, yeah. What does the living situation look like at your permanent home? Um, the one I lived in for 11 years? Yes. Yeah, so it was, um, so they're actually a, a trust. Um, so they have like the directors of the trust and then they've got several other foster homes as well around Auckland. Um, and so in those several homes, there were tons of kids, kids everywhere, I say. Um, and we'd all meet up a few times a week for like youth groups and churches and things like that. Um, and then kind of day to day, we'd do our own thing with our caregivers in the house, but everything had to go through the directors. So little things like I'm going on a school trip, can you sign my permission slip? My caregiver could sign off on that. Big things like I'm going to stay with my nana for two weeks for the holidays, had to be signed off like by the directors and then by my social workers as well. Wow, that's quite a hectic upbringing. It, for me, it was incredibly stable because it was normal. Right. It you was, normalized it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, yeah. other people go to their friend's house for the night, so that's cool. I'm not allowed to do that. But I do go up to Waipu, where my nana um, used to live, for the entirety of the, like, Christmas holidays. Mm. Um, and that was fine. I just knew a few weeks before that I'd have to go to my caregivers, get their permission, go to Child Youth and Family, get their permission, get them to book the buses. Like, I was... I know it sounds really complex, but for me, like, I just knew that it had to be done, and so it wasn't really a problem. It wasn't until I moved out <coughs> and was talking to other people about their experiences in their homes that I was like, oh, that's, you can just go. Mm. Like, you're allowed to just go whenever you want. That's wild. Mm. Yeah. Because I think, for me, it would just be the struggle with the authority. Like, as a, like, I'm quite a, like, pushback kind of person anyway. Mm. It'd be the having other people around and caregivers change and um, just them and the ward being the state of the ward and oh the ward of the state um ward of the state the ward yeah. of the state where the judge makes the decision for you it would have i think that would have been something that yeah i would have had a hard time dealing with was it something that you seen as a trend for foster kids that they really struggled with the authority side of it? We definitely had some children who absolutely, as you said, they struggled, whether that be with um, how restrictive the caregivers were. Mm. Oftentimes they had to be restrictive as well for the children's safety. So like, I understand that. Um, But a lot of children did struggle with that, with, you know, them not being allowed to go see their family um, Mm. because their family haven't gone through like the child, youth and family channels or um, not so much the instability of caregivers because for the most of it our caregivers all did remain the same luckily enough but there are so many kids outside of the home who obviously are from house to house to mm. house um i personally <laughs> never really struggled like with that aspect of yeah. it but there were definitely children that i lived with um over the 11 years who you could tell they were really struggling um and also just 
they a lot of them came into care a lot older than I was because mm. I was so young when I went in as I said for me this was normal but when yeah. the people came in that were 11 12 13 14 15 and they've already lived the majority of their like teenage years kind of doing whatever they want um, not having to check with parents, you know, not having mm. a curfew. And then they come in and there's all these rules. That was really, like, challenging for them. Mm. But for me, as I said, completely normal because this was my entire life. Very cool. Yeah, because it's when you're, it's your norm. You can't, you don't see any other difference. Yeah. I think, like, what I, when I think about a family dynamic, it's the attachment, right, mm. to a parental figure that provides safety and that oftentimes is missing with a lot of people in foster care, is that strong attachment. Um, and I, I think like, because I was a social worker, I was an active practicing social worker for like seven years, six or seven years. Um, and I saw a country or like a system, I should say, that was so hell bent on keeping this image that they were doing so much, that they were trying so hard and, um, what I saw were just burnt out social workers yeah. and tired, exhausted um, youth workers and incredibly sad kids. And everyone was just trying to put different names on it and try to put money on it and try to add different titles to different directors of it. And yet there was no like core change from, from what I've seen in yeah. the last, you know, um, however, you've lived it. You lived it as as a kid, and I think that that experience beats any other experience. Mm. Whether you're a social worker, whatever your your experience is, what trumps anyone else's. Did you feel like it changed? It has changed over the years in your sh your experience as a child, but also hearing stories now. Like has child youth and family changed? Not like your experience oh. in foster care. Yeah, like the way that I see it has absolutely changed. I was very like bright eyed about it all. Um, you know, they were so excellent. They were really great. I had the greatest time. I got so lucky. And it wasn't until I kind of started unpacking it with a therapist um, in which we kind of were discussing what exactly went on in the homes that I lived in and how they weren't perfect and how there were definitely things that they could have done better. Um, I don't want to like put them on blast, you know what I mean? But it was kind of just a little bit like we constantly lived in fear of being kicked out if we didn't mm. do this. Um, we were not allowed to do after school activities yeah. um, no matter how old we got. So obviously the younger kids couldn't do things, but even if you were like older and you could bus safely by yourself, mm. weren't allowed to go and do after school activities. Um, had to go to church on the weekends. It was non-negotiable. If you didn't do these things, you run the risk of getting kicked out. Um, what was up with the church thing? So they were a religion-based um, foster home that right. I lived in, and so they were very religious, and I absolutely wholeheartedly respect that. You know, that's completely fine. Right. But they were also very adamant that their foster home was based around religion, um, mm. which means that if you live in their foster home, if you're a kid that they are supporting, you go to these churches right. um, and to the youth groups and things like that. Um, yeah, and... So a lot of that was really fun for mm. like, you know, for a while I found this really mm. fun, really enjoyable. I really liked youth group. I really liked church. Sometimes the pastor talked on a bit, but finding a church where the pastor does not talk on a bit. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, you said it. Very, very common. <laughs> <laughs> Bless him, but very, very common. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until I like 
started having all of this religious trauma that I kind of realized how badly this was impacting me. Like, for example, I know this sounds really embarrassing, but like every time there's a storm, um, I think to myself, like, Jesus is coming. It's the rapture. Like, I'm going to hell because I'm a sinner. And I have like bona fide panic attacks about this. Um, because all my life I've been told that, you know, if you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. Um, you're going to die in hell for years and years and years. Um, and the world is getting worse and it's just signs that Jesus is coming back. Mm. And so now at the first crack of thunder, I'm like under my bed shaking. Still today? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's getting that's a lot better, but trauma. yes, I absolutely still am like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Um, it's, it's really weird. And like, I know that it's really weird as well. Um, well, it's not weird. It's your it's yeah, it's yeah. trauma. It's your, yeah. it's the religious trauma you experience that has caused you to still have this this burden on your shoulders, on your chest too. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah. And like again, I want to stress that for a very large part, my caregivers were really lovely, and they did a lot for mm. children, and they did really love us, and we really loved them. Like both of these can be true at the same time. Period. I really loved them, and they do mean a lot to me. Um, and also they did some things that weren't perfect and because of them, I really struggled and to this day I continue to struggle. And it's really hard holding both of these at the same time. Like even oh, right yeah. now I feel very guilty about this because I'm like, well, what if they see it? What if they hear, you know, they're gonna think I don't love them. They're gonna think I don't appreciate them. Um, because for 11 years they were my family. You know, I still yeah. had my, my blood family. I still did see them. Um, but when I came home every single day when I had a really terrible day, you know they cooked our dinner every single night they mm. made our breakfast mm. they paid for our school trips so yeah it's just it's really conflicting you know that's that real yeah, that yeah. guilt yeah it's yeah. a bit deep isn't it whoops my bad no that's, <laughs> no, that's, that's what it's yeah. all about i that's feel like cool. parental guilt is a thing across all boards mm. like yeah. do you know what i mean like i think yeah. like parents i think kids will always have a guilt complex um because of like i think about like um you know, I always feel guilty because like my parents worked so hard mm. and they weren't able to make their dreams come true, yet I get to do something that brings me so much joy, yet they still do things that don't bring them joy. So I have this mm. real guilt, like I have to ensure that I act on these dreams because they can't. And so it's like that guilt is really real. However, sometimes that pressure is overwhelming that they often project on me. Like I did this so you could do this, right? So yeah. like that's not healthy sometimes too. Mm. And I think like, um, there's nothing wrong speaking your truth about that. Have you had an opportunity to speak to them? No, I do. Right. I do still see them. I'm actually yeah. going for lunch with them like next week. Oh my yeah. god! Um, so that will be really nice. But I just I feel really like I don't know how to communicate with them as a grown up oh. because they've only ever known me as a child. Mm. And now, oh. like again, I have seen them yeah. since I've left. I've seen them like as a grown up, but I still don't really know how to communicate with them and be like, hey, like, I'm not this child anymore. You have no control over me. This is what you did. That's real. Um, and also they are they are getting on a little bit. You know, they're, I don't actually think they are looking after children actively anymore. Like they, they have aged since, you know, they've been doing this for years and years and years. Mm. Um, and so a part of me is like, just don't tell them. You know, just don't tell them how you feel. Mm. Don't let them know, you know, they aren't looking after kids anymore. And so they're not going to do these things to other children. Another part of me is like, I should absolutely tell them because I feel like I'm double crossing them in a way. Mm. Again, really silly. I only see them like once a year. Yeah. But yeah, as you said, it's that guilt, um, yeah. which is very real. I feel like you just yeah. trust your gut, whatever you feel right in the, in the moment and
I think you're prioritizing them over you. Yeah. And I think like you have every right to prioritize you. I think, I think that comes from living with them though as well. Yeah. Like, I feel so guilty. Respectfully, they were like, everything we do for you, you've got to be thankful because we're doing this out of the goodness of our own hearts and our own kindness. Mm. And so now I'm like, okay, like I've got to be thankful for absolutely everything. And like, I am thankful. I definitely could have lived in a, in a much worse home, you know, mm. all in the, in the news all the time, these stories about children being abused. Right now we've got the Royal Commission going on. The Royal Commission's just finished about children um, being very seriously impacted in care. And I am really lucky because I was never physically abused in any of my homes. We had all of our meals given to us. We had all of our things paid for. Um, we had an abundance of clothing and, and heat and warmth and love. And so in, in lots of ways, I was really, really lucky. Um, and so I try to, I, I think I tell myself that I don't really have a leg to stand on because of that. I don't want to dismiss that. Yeah, you, no, of course. But I feel like you should not compare your experiences to other people because your reality is you still carry trauma. Yeah. It may look different to these people that are going through this commission, but it still causes you pain and that's valid and you have every right to be able to explore it so you can eventually heal from it. Yeah. So I don't want you to disregard it because it's real. Yeah. And I think like what it shows you is that it's not trauma and violence and in state care, you know, violence. It looks so different for so many people, oh, but absolutely. neither one or the other is should be prioritized. Yeah, I think all of it should be discussed because it shows how mm. people can be violent to children in yeah. so many different ways. And religious trauma is not often talked about enough. No, absolutely. But it's your reality, and you have every right, and you have every all the legs <laughs> to stand on. Thank you for saying that. It's yeah. really hard to like um, think about that situation as not sad for me. Yeah. Um, like we, I don't want to make you feel like a victim, but and you, but I also don't know how to address it where I don't feel sad about it. Yeah. Yeah, because for me that's not my reality mm. at all. I grew up in a household where the love I got wasn't from people who um, weren't my family, weren't my blood. I, I was only surrounded by love, and the love wasn't um, a payment. Yeah. It wasn't an exchange. It was just love. That's the thing that I really struggle with is that they're them saying, do this because we, yeah, you're getting yeah. this because of this and this because of that. Yeah. Um, in our family, it's just, we've got like a really, um, <coughs> we've got a really good way of, of that my mum addresses jealousy and from our kids. Like whenever my sister would get a pair of shoes, uh, then and if you complain about it, then it's like she'd say, "Don't weigh it up. Don't ever weigh up the love because the love's everywhere." Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and because if you weigh it up, nothing comes out balanced. Mm. So like, it's hard to yeah. I've I've been trying to like balance it out, and um, probably because I'm weighing up my experience versus yours, but both of our normals are just normal. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I I appreciate you saying that because for a very long period of time, I also would have weighed it up. Yeah. And I also would have been really like, good for you, but why can't I have that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or if you were to say like, oh, well, I had this. I'd be like, well, mine's worse. Yeah. Like, at least you had a family, you know? And that's a really gross mentality that I had that I had to come out of. Because as you said, like, 
there's nothing to weigh up, you yeah. know. I never balance out. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, like, obviously I'm stoked for people that, that grew up in family homes. You know, yeah. I don't think stoked is the word because that should be the norm. Like, yeah. you know, be. I It shouldn't am, be lucky. Yeah, I never, yeah. I, I used to, but now I'm absolutely like, I have no thoughts about people who grew up with their families mm. because that's what you're meant to have. I had love mm. shown to me in a very different way. Mm. Um, but we still had that love, yeah. you know, in a roundabout kind of way. Mm. Um, but yeah, for a very long time, I absolutely was like, well, I don't really want to hear about your love. Thank you very yeah. much. You know, keep that to yourself. Good for you. <laughs> um, or even if you were like, well, I don't like my mum because she did this. I'm like, well, okay, yeah. go home to your mum then. I can't, you know? Yeah. And so now, yeah, I'm glad that you said that, but I don't want to think of myself as a victim. I really hate yeah, being cool. called like brave or yeah, um, mm. there's a word I'm thinking of that I can't remember right this minute. Resilient? But yes, it actually is it's resilient. It's the R word. <laughs> it's the fucking R word. resilient. Yeah, I'm all like, my no, students hated the R word. Yeah, I hate being yeah. called resilient. Um, yeah. Because like it's just life, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just shit. Like, people just deal with shit. Shit, all the well, time. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> what what were my options, really? Like, yeah. realistically, yeah. what options did I have? Yeah, yeah. Should I just go home to my family? Like, it's not going to work for me. No. Um, do I just give up? It's also not really going to work for me either. <laughs> I have no choice but to get up and get go to school. Yeah. yeah. Like, otherwise, if you produce me a list of, like, all my options, please and thank you, like, I'm not really being resilient if I'm just doing what I have to do, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's resilience, but that doesn't have to be the common... Th- we yeah. don't have to say it. Like, yeah. and we don't have to romanticize it. Mm. I think that's the damage of it all is I think we often romanticize resilience in kids that experience foster care. We're yeah. like, these kids have so much resilience and resilience. Or we, we also say like, kids just don't have enough resilience. And both are so harmful. Yeah. Because kids shouldn't have to experience that yeah. in general. So, but question about, uh, please like say if this is too, like this is too personal. Yeah, but of course. Has, um, being in foster care, like experiencing this very extract, like this very extractive relationship with adults who who really kind of weighed it over your head to be like, if you do this, I will love you and, and whatnot. Mm. Has that affected your relationships with people in life? Yes, absolutely, mm. absolutely. Um, so our first kind of relationship with people are obviously with your parents, right? And that's how you form your um, like your attachments yeah. with other people, the way mm-hmm. that you form relationships, the way you keep relationships. I never really had a healthy attachment style with my parents. Mm. And so because of that, I really struggled with all relationships, you know, like platonic and romantic and mm. family relationships. Um, and so especially when I was younger, I really struggled with friends. And a lot of that, again, was me weighing up my life and their life and the problems that would come from that. Um, and then getting into relationships, like romantic relationships with people as well, was always very superficial and like finding someone to validate me, right. finding someone to validate my experiences. I definitely like was just looking for someone for like physical connectivity rather mm. than like an emotional relationship. Right. Um, and so it took a few years of me crying to my friends, being like, why does every single person I like treat me terribly? Like plot twist because I'm going for terrible people <laughs> because I don't know how to form healthy relationships. We couldn't see the red flags. Yeah. Like, we were looking at a shade of green. I <laughs> am the red flag. Like that's the problem. Like eventually, if you start having the same thing in every single relationship, like I am the common denominator, denominator. okay? Yeah. Like it's all my fault. Um, and so it took quite a few years for me to like find what I wanted in a partner, not to rush into anything, especially physically, because I rushed into things with people really quickly. 
um, to be like, this is how I show love. Mm. Take your clothes off, you know. Um, That's so and real. So, <laughs> yeah. Listen, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not all of us, but mm. most of us have been there. Um, and so it took me quite a while to, yeah. like, slow down and, like, analyse my relationships, my friendships with people. Like, what am I doing wrong? What are they doing wrong? Mm. How do I work this out with myself? Because primarily it was a me problem, right? Mm. Um, and then again, when I met my current partner, kind of like sit down, think about what I want, think about if I'm ready for a relationship, you know, thinking about what I'm bringing to the table, what traumas am I bringing to the table as well, and how am I going to deal with those? Um, mm. So it took a while, but yeah, long story short, relationships are absolutely impacted by yeah. like not having a healthy relationship with your parents from Absolutely. the very beginning, like at birth. Um, relationships are like created from the beginning of time, really. Yeah, even um, like tendencies, like the payment eh, of I do this, so you do that. Mm. It's, it's things like that, because that's just how the world works yeah. normally. It's so hard for, um, like not because I'm perfect in <laughs> relationship. <laughs> I love a relationship. Hey, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, um, it, it's so unique, eh? every relationship's unique, and yeah. um, it's even more so when you're aware of it. Yeah. Because like, I do stupid shit, red flag shit, without knowing it, mm. but now you'll work through it and found a space. How long did it get to you, uh, did it take for you to start speaking your truth and yeah. becoming really aware of what... Um. Basically, long story short, I had a little tiny little like a mental breakdown in 2019. And this was just coming off the back of a really bad relationship. It wasn't even like it was a situationship, you know what I mean? Mm. But I was still like quite distraught about this. And I had a full mental breakdown and I dropped Sometimes out of the worse. Right? Sometimes they are worse than relationships. Right? Sometimes like, she was my best friend as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Oh wait, this was your best friend? Yeah, well, she was my best friend, and we kind of like merging into dating situations. Oh, shit. It was messy as hell. Okay. Um, I hope they're doing well, but <laughs> go away. Never want to see you again. So I had this like mental breakdown about it. Oh my god. Dropped out of uni. I moved into my mum's house because at this time I had moved out of my foster home. Mm. I had moved out of the family home I went into. I was mm. flooding by myself. That went terribly. Moved somewhere else. That went terribly. I called my mum. I was like, Mum, I know I haven't lived with you since I was a child. I need a house, <laughs> please. She was like, cool, come in, move with me. So I moved into my mum's house. Not the greatest idea at the time, but we live and we learn. Um, and during this time, I basically stopped everything. I stopped seeing all of my friends. I um, stopped talking to people. Like I shut down. I went to work every day, came home. That was it. Um, and it was in this time that I was kind of thinking to myself, like, what am I doing wrong? Like, realistically, because it's been relationship after relationship after relationship. What am I doing wrong? I have to be the common denominator mm. here if I am... You know, everyone else's relationships are fine. These people aren't breaking up left, right, and center. So mm. what is wrong with me? Um, and yeah, so it took me kind of that mental breakdown there to kind of realize, hey, I'm attaching on to people like in a really terrible way. Mm. Um, and I can pinpoint it to why as well. It's because of my time in foster care. It's because I never had like relationships with people. Mm. Um, I could never really be friends with people because they all did after school stuff and I could never do after school stuff. I couldn't go to any of their houses and stay the night because to do that, their parents would have to go through child, youth and family and get police checked. The house mm. would have to get checked to make sure it's all compliant. And I'm not going to ask my like year six best friend to mm. do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I really struggled keeping friends. And then I went to an old girls school. I never learned how to um, interact 
with people of opposite genders. I was also mm. very like, because I'm very proudly bisexual. I use bisexual and pansexual very fluidly mm. because for me, gender is not relevant in the slightest. A lot of people think bisexuality is two genders. I think it's like all genders for me. Mm. Your gender doesn't matter to me. Um, but I was very closeted at the time as well because mm. I lived in a very religious home and they were not, they were not cool with that. Yeah. Um, so dealing with, oh sorry, I'm no, so you're sorry good. to break it off. No, you're good, you're <laughs> that good. With like the storms coming and you think Jesus is coming. Yeah. Is this <laughs> when you're like going against it with being bisexual or pansexual, you're like, oh my days, Yeah, Jesus so for, for a long time, I really was like, maybe I'm just faking it. Maybe I'm just like made it up. Maybe I'm not even attracted like yeah. to women. And I'm like making out with a girl and really enjoying it. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe <laughs> I'm making it up. Maybe I just, maybe I just don't even like girls that much. Yeah. Like, I absolutely do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Um, but yeah, I like gaslit myself into right. thinking that yeah, it didn't, like I, I was just making it up. Like it was a choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah like I just woke up and cho chose this morning. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was whack, man. Okay. <laughs> Man, yeah. there's so much factors you just I know, you just had one simple conversation about foster care and now you're getting my whole life. Uh, yeah, no, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. So you moved into mums and then you've realised you might have some stuff to work through yeah. yourself. Yeah, like I never thought that I was perfect, absolutely not. Yeah. But it wasn't until this time where I was actually like, hey, what am I doing? Because like... I think it was John Green, bless his heart, that said, like, you accept the love oh you God. think you deserve. Not John and I was Green. like, right, no, listen, I apologize. I don't normally quote John Green. <laughs> no, quote him again. In again. this one instance, you accept the love you think you deserve. Absolutely. I was like, wait a minute. Wow. I was like, I'm allowing these people that are not very nice, that mm. I'm not nice to into my life because I don't think I deserve anything better because yeah. I never really had, like, a healthy, mm. visible love. Mm. And so, yeah. After it's, that, it's worthiness, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like the realization that despite my family home, despite my lifestyle, despite you know living in foster care, I do still deserve someone that loves me absolutely. very healthily and proudly. And I have that love to give to someone else. And like mm. I might need a little bit of tweaking, like I might need a little bit of help. I now go to therapy, we're going really well. Um, but like I deserve that and everyone else in foster care deserves that as well. Yeah. Like I'm not alone in this, you know. Um, I have absolutely been shaped by not only my caregivers but the people that I lived with. Some mm. of them, I only lived with them for months. Some of them I've known since I was seven. And now I think it's only 15 years later, like we're still friends. All of these people deserve love as well, mm. you know. And I don't know all of their stories. Again, this one woman, um, I met her when I was seven years old. I don't know about her family life. She's never told me. That's okay, you know? She deserves love as well. Mm. Um, yeah, it took a while to get there. But, but I love there. that because you're talking about boundaries too, right? Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And, and not, not giving people an opportunity to sit in the sadness that they're not prepared for yet. Mm. And I think like when, that, when they're ready, then that's, that's the type of, you know, unraveling that they can do, but it does take time. Because I know when I was a social worker, I wouldn't just jump to be like, so were you hurt? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, just you would uh, you would give them time. And there'd be months and months where I'd be working with one student and they wouldn't tell me anything. And they'd just be colouring in, in my in my office. And yeah. it wasn't until, like, then finally finding something out to be able to support them with. But I think that's the thing is, like, not rushing people yeah. when they're on their, on their journey of healing. Absolutely. Right, because it's a lot. It's so much, and it's hard to listen to if you're not in that as well. Totally. Like, I think you can definitely become desensitized 
um, from what you hear when you're like living in a home, what you see, um, the stories that the social workers have to listen to. I can see why people become desensitized, but before you get to that, you have to kind of wade through the trauma and that can be really, really challenging. Mm. Like I know some stories of some of the people that I lived with and it's horrific. Like these poor yeah. children, you know, um, people could say that about me. I, I, I wouldn't call my situation horrific, but again, that's a lot of like comparing, which is it not is, necessary. Absolutely. But yeah, it's definitely like you've got to be in a safe situation to tell someone. I would never just be like, oh, so my mum did this and my dad did this and then this happened yeah. and then walk away because then you're left there like, right, yeah. what to do? You know, how do I how do I feel better about this situation? So, yeah, you've got to be like in a safe space to hear it, I think. What um do you think we need to do better when it comes to foster care moving Ooh. forward? Ooh. Like, that's a big question. A big so, like, question. yeah, like. Again, we ask some big questions and we know we're not going to get all the answers yeah. today. But in a st in start to start the conversation, what do you think we, yeah. we should do? I with think it? listen to children. Like mm, first, I mean, fine. you would think, you would think that that's like number one priority, but it's yeah. really not. Mm. But listen to children, invite them to the family group conferences, invite them to the court cases, yes, sit yes. them down, explain to them what's going on. And yeah, they might say things like, I want to go home. And that might not be possible. I'm not saying mm. you have to do everything that they say. Mm. But listen to them. Like, mm. let them know what's going on. I think that should absolutely be number one. Number two, I think they should get more people involved than just social workers. I think they need um, yep. like mental health teams. That we need to look at yeah. where the families are living before the children are being uplifted. Mm. Can you provide financial support? Can you provide better housing? Do the parents need help mm. learning how to be a parent? Because I don't know. Do you learn how to be a parent when you have a baby? I don't think so. I don't think we do either. You just, what do you do? You like Google it? You're like, how to do this? <laughs> how to be a good mom? How to be right? a good yeah. Do they need support? Do the siblings need support? Love that. Um, what else is going on? What's your socioeconomical background? Like, do you need more help with studies? Things like that, because they're so quick to uplift children. Mm. And in some situations, that is necessary. You have yeah. to do that for their safety. But in so many situations, it's like, come on, mm. what do you need? There's so, a wraparound. Yeah, mm. so I think, um, forget this idea that social workers are like the end all or be all, because they're really not. Mm. Like, what other support can you have? Because uplifting the child should be the very last option. Mm. Um, yeah. Totally, totally yeah. agree. That's what I think. I'm just like this. <laughs> yes, 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 yeah. yes. Because yeah. I think what you're saying is like it needs to be a, a support system for people yeah. so that they can thrive and not putting more barriers in their place for yeah. them not to. No, absolutely. Because realistically, and I don't have this, the numbers for this, but like how many children could have stayed home? How mm. many children could have stayed, not even at their parental home, but like with their family? Yeah. Mm. Why isn't that an option? Or it is an option, but why is it so difficult to be an option? Yeah. You know, I think they really do need to like, take a look around and see what's going on, because if they just need a little bit of financial support, why don't we have systems in place to help them? Yeah. Why aren't WINS helping? Why aren't the Ministry of Social Development Great helping? Questions. You know? Mm. Yeah. Beauty. That's heaps. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Sorry, guys. No, <laughs> don't even be sorry. This is yeah. really important and yeah. uh, very timely with everything that's going on right mm. now with yeah. SIFs and um, just the commission and the changes. If I may say, I also yes. like acknowledge that I am a white woman and so I have got a lot of privilege 
as well in the foster care system because it is known and again I don't have the numbers I do apologize but it is known that children of color are taken out of their family at alarming rates Mm. so I think it is really important to acknowledge that I got incredibly lucky and I will always be incredibly lucky because of my white privilege I apologize if that's not meant to be said in this podcast but I think it's really important to say that like there are so many Māori and Pacifica children that are being taken out of their homes that would not be taken out of white homes for as well. Yeah. And so, again, where is that support? Yeah. yeah. We agree. <laughs> yeah. That's important to say. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that, that's right. a, no, but that is important to say. And that's I think I think the intersections, right, like mm. of, of all these things are really important to show that, that there are reasons. Like, if, first of all, you still experience horrible. Yeah. But yeah. so do so many other kids for so many different reasons. Absolutely. And don't be sorry for being Don't be white, sorry yeah. for <laughs> being white, <laughs> though. I would be stoked. Yeah. I would use my wife for the <laughs> Yeah, that's not something to nah, compare. You're, no, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's not even a comparison because you've loved your, oh, you've lived your life. You yeah. Know, and your life's been your own story. And I liked what you said around um, the finding out who you are and mm. realising your worth. Yeah. And that you get to control your fate. Yeah. Now, you're not a ward. Ward of the state. Ward yeah. of the state. <laughs> <laughs> ward of the state anymore. And now it's your path that you're walking. You're yeah. learning through. Beautiful. And just like everyone else. Mm. It's like it's no, nobody needs to have the answers. No, just have the questions. Just have the questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, amazing! Yeah. I love that so much, and I love that like you're a whole being. Yeah. You're yeah. a human. You're not a number. Yeah. You're not like this case study. Yeah. You're a, a, a young person who's figuring it out, and you're, you're not. Jess. You're Jess. Jess. And you're, you're Jess. beautiful. And you're beautiful and, and amazing. This has been a lovely episode. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so you much, much, team. And this is Under the Whaariki. And that's us. So Yay! <laughs> I'll see you next episode. Thank you very much. <laughs> How are you doing?